Britain's greatest Star Wars podcast. You're listening to Star Wars Sessions with Matt Hudson and Luke Bly. This is where the fun begins. Good morning, afternoon or evening, wherever you are in the galaxy. And welcome to Star Wars Sessions, the show where Star Wars, nothing but Star Wars, is the subject. Woo-hoo. My name is Matt Hudson, a.k.a. Jabba the Hud. And joining me once more in the cockpit of the Essex Falcon is the greatest Star Wars man, fan and buddy out there. And he's fresh from the Death Star trash compactor. It's to Bly Anoga himself. Oh, Bly Anoga. I'm going to take that <laughs> as a cheeky compliment. How are you, Jabba the Hud? You good, mate? All good as ever. Enjoyed a nice weekend in South End in the company of the Great British Seaside Town. Gardening and DIY all day yesterday. All whilst dreaming of the rise of Skywalker, which is 150 days away. But how about yourself? Good weekend? Oh, spicy. Yeah, mate, we've had a great weekend. It was more on the quiet side, spending time with family and whatnot mm-hmm. locally. Nice. Um, but do you know what? It's been well earned because we have been busy bunnies the last few months. Man. We've had, we've had, mate, we've been busy so much. Listen, I'm sorry to everyone straight up, okay, because the weather here in the UK <laughs> is mental at the moment, specifically in the southeast of England. It's so hot. It's like in the 30s every day this week. So my windows are wide open, okay? So you might – and I live in the middle of uh, good old Basildon in Essex, and it gets a little busy. Um, so you might hear some traffic in the background. But other than that, Matt, you know what I'm ready for, dude? Uh, Go on. I'm ready to shoot the Galactic Breeze. Yes, well, let's talk some Star Wars as usual. What's the word from the cantina, my man? What's been happening in the galaxy, Blypho Dias? Well, big news, big, big, big news. Um, San Diego Comic Con was this weekend, just gone, and we have some big news from it. Not, not, not big news as in like uh, what we normally get from Star Wars celebrations, but nonetheless, some stuff we can take away and have a little taste session on first up we got vader immortal posters for those of you who don't know vader immortal is a vr experience uh game it's going to be coming well well episode one's already out isn't it matt the yes, first yeah, episode yeah. of it and i think there's like six episodes of, of this story is that right or am i it's wrong? a continuing story i think it's about is it, episode two is coming soon but it's about five or six i think yeah right so we basically got some uh, really cool little groovy posters um, revealed at San Diego Comic-Con for this game, Vader Immortal. And what's interesting is we actually get a closer look at all the characters. So we've got six total, six uh, posters in total, one of which is none other than Darth Vader himself. Um, the others, we got a droid. We got uh, the Black Bishop, which, of course, is Snoke. what? Yeah, Snoke, man. <laughs> We're all thinking it's Snoke anyway. Uh, For those of you who don't remember, we had a little cheeky episode a couple weeks ago where we actually discussed this video game. We had a clip of the video game um, in the show. And long story short, the Black Bishop sounds a lot like Snoke. Um, Mm. We also have Admiral Carius, the Mustafarian princess, uh, the droid Zedo E3, and uh, Vilip. And uh, yeah, the posters look really cool. But I'm telling you, mate, that that is that looks like behind that little blue cover that's covering his face. His veil. 
it's Snoke, man. Why would they be covering it otherwise? Am I right? I mean, he's got uh, the groovy, that when I saw it. He's got the groovy like robes on. The clothes are crazy, you know, just like Snoke. I'm telling you, I'm telling you. He's borrowed Doctor Strange's uh, cloak there, and they've covered his face. So um, I don't know. Maybe it's just really, really bright down there, and he couldn't find sunglasses, so he just pulled his collar up. But yeah, yeah they all look pretty cool. Um, the droid looks like the droid. The Mustafarian princess looks mental. Uh, Vilip is one of the Mustafarian, like I think, like uh, gang leaders or something like that, and she looks—he he or she looks a bit burnt. Uh, and Carius is, I believe, the story of Carius is he was a—he was a an Imperial officer, I think, who got on Vader's bad side, and now half—he is now half cyborg as well. I may be that may be uh, completely wrong, but I'm sure I heard that somewhere. But Classic. the posters are cool. I mean, there's—they don't give anything away, but. They look cool, and I'm always yeah. up for new art, showing new, showing new um, characters, and like Violet. I mean, she look again. It looks cool, and the Black Bishop cover covering his face. We thought it's Snoke. We've probably got lots of people listening to us now saying it isn't Snoke. Drop it, but might be. Yeah, it might be. And if <laughs> and if it isn't, then hey, it was funsies. <laughs> exactly, but. Yes, if anyone out there has played Vader Immortal, let us know what you thought about it, because we haven't played it. Uh, We've probably seen clips online and probably more than we should have done. But yeah, if you've played it, let us know what you think. But um, yeah, posters are pretty cool, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. They're gorgeous, mate. Well, speaking of posters, we've got another one for the uh, upcoming Star Wars Allegiance comic miniseries. It's, uh, well, StarWars.com describes it as uh, on the run since the destruction of the Starkiller base. General Leia and the remaining handful of resistance have barely managed to survive, much less strike back, against the superior force of the First Order. Running low on options, Leia decides to reach out to her former allies, the Mon Calamari, whose shipyards once powered the Rebel Alliance. Uh, Ethan Sachs wrote this. but um, It's coming between October the 9th and the 30th, and this poster is wicked. I love this image. It's so awesome to see the best elements of the sequel trilogy all together as one. Chuck yeah. in a quarren, throw a Mon Cala in, a couple of weird-looking beasts, and suddenly we've got a new direction of storytelling because we've had... I've mentioned, I think it was last week, week before, we've had so many years of the OT and the PT stories going to all these weird, wonderful places and going on all the characters going on these weird, amazing adventures. Now it's time for Ray, Finn, Poe, Kylo to go on those adventures and expand the galaxy and the lore. So I love it. The cut, the colours look great. They're muted, but they still pop off. The stars behind oh, Ray look dude, incredible. It's gorgeous. It's and Ray, she's got some breathing apparatus similar to the Rise of Skywalker trailer on as well. And also, Poe's got some lovely designer stubble. But yeah, right, Ray with that um, facial apparatus on, or apparatus as they call it, uh, is quite intriguing considering that she looks like she's holding that in that Death Star shot in the trailer. Mate, it looks so nice. And I know, I know the bit you're talking about. There's this like really cool looking, almost like Attack of the Clones kind of era creature um, on the left of yeah, the yeah, poster. Right. It looks fantastic. But the colouring, everything about this, 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 I, I feel like, you know, I, I've been pretty vocal about my, uh, you know, recent distaste with with the way star wars marvel comics have gone you know i'm not as interested in them as i used to because the stories don't feel as important it feels like marvel and the team over like lucasfilm publishing and stuff all the people working on these comics it looks like they've stepped up their game a little and uh this is this is definitely you know 
this has got me interested. This has got me interested. But um, this is going on sale in October. Is that right, Matt? October the 9th to the 30th. So uh, four week, four week you, run. I can't wait, man. Uh, I'm I'm go- I'm going to be I'm going to be reading a few of these comics uh, on the lead up to the Rise of Skywalker for sure. The last last third of this year is actually going to be mental. I can't wait. Oh, I can't believe it. It's <laughs> going to be mental. Oh, we're man. just in this period now where you know we're kind of you know we 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 can get away with like speculating, talking about lots of different stuff, but mate, this is all going to come around so quick, and the best thing to do is just savor up and enjoy it. Exactly. I want more stories for the sequel trilogy gang so then they can start to feel more connected with the wider saga and we're going the right way. So we've got Star Wars Allegiance comic, uh, the miniseries, which I call, hey, look, there's Rose on the poster as well. Woohoo! Um, so, yeah, that's enough of that. So we're going <laughs> to so get some great stories leading up to the rise of Skywalker or Blywalker if you want a t shirt. 150 days to go, but I don't know, as far as I'm aware, that's nothing else came out about the rise of Skywalker, did it? Yes, yeah, no did. comic material. In fact, we got a comic uh, being released again the um, last third of the year. I think it's December. The yes. Rise of Kylo Ren miniseries <laughs> is announced. And this bad boy, this thing looks so good. It looks incredible. The art looks phenomenal. Um, and, and it's it, the same guys writing it. He's, he he did he worked on the Darth Vader series. Yes. I think when the the original Darth Vader series, when Marvel um, got the rights to to do the publishing, right, the comic Charles book Sword. publishing for Star Wars. That's right. Thank you. Um, and this guy can tell brilliant stories. And you, I, again, I cannot emphasize how happy I am that this comic <laughs> is getting released, especially in the build up to the Rise of Skywalker. You know, this could really tell us some information. And the fact that the, the whole of the Knights of Ren are there is so yes. – it's really interesting. It's really interesting. So maybe we're going to learn about all of those guys, what they've been doing in between episodes eight and nine. Mm-hmm. If you notice in the image – um, Kylo's got his helmet back on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there, the cracks are there, right? So this must be during the latter part of of the sequel trilogy, Episode Nine territory. Um, so I'm I'm super excited to see how this goes down. Uh, as soon as this, I woke up and saw this was this was uh, this had dropped from Comic Con, I just went into full on Obi Wan. Hello there, mode. I just saw it and I was literally like, Hello there. <laughs> There's no doubt now to me that the Knights of Ren are going to be big time players in the Rise of Skywalker. Now they're on the yes, front of the one. exactly on the front of the Visual Dictionary, which also dropped. They've got there. Yes, Kylo's front and centre, but he's flanked by the Knights. They were in the Vanity Fair article, but yeah, I can't wait. We're going to find out a bit more how Kylo came to be. Maybe some hints as to what Kylo and Ren actually mean. Um, who are the Knights of Ren? What does he get up to, Kylo? Now that he's this agent of darkness, he's no longer Ben Solo. What kind of yeah. leader is he? I mean, look at them. They're in the Black Diamond, which is a sign of power. They, they, that's how they're spread out. But the only thing I will say is... Oh, I yeah, just, good point. They are, look at them. I just hope and pray that this isn't going to be a bit wishy-washy. Do you know what I mean? A bit sort of... Sure. You get, you get to the first issue and you think, oh, I didn't really learn anything. And then you get to the second sure. one and you think, oh, no, I didn't really learn much. We've only got two episodes, two comics left. But um, I think Charles Saul's writing it, so I've got all faith that he's going to give us some absolute juicy little nuggets of information going ahead. So um, that's just my fear. I know because this is something that, that is... me, you and the fans have been waiting for. So come on, Charles, 
Don't let us down. Dude, we, we've we've been waiting so long for some sequel trilogy content in in regards to the comics. Um, other than the Poe Dameron comic, again, it's stuff that it doesn't really tell us anything new. No, you know, and to some hardcore fans, you know, it could be just what they wanted. But I want some stuff to be really connected to this sequel trilogy, to the saga. Yes, you um, said it. And I cannot wait to read this comic um but also in further news we we also got the visual dictionary yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. All, well well not not all of it just the front page of it or the front cover of it which has a sweet looking knight of ren on the front also has c-3po has ray um and dio the droid we already know about and most of it we already know about we've already seen but there was one new thing on it that looked real real tasty oh, i know what you're talking about drop it man the tie dagger, dagger. yes what is that all about that looks sick that looks fierce man that looks so good that looks like an incredible ship um but yeah I, again i'm pretty pleased the way things have worked out for san diego comic-con um again the, the highlight for me was seeing the sith trooper all, all in in the flesh on the stage at Comic Con in San Diego, did you see that, mate? Yeah, I did. I caught. I eventually caught up with it. Yep, it looks absolutely delicious. Um, one of the things that got on my nerves, though, if you looked, they did like the history of the Stormtrooper, yeah, yeah. or something at, at San Diego, and uh, the order was all over the place. It started on the, on the left. You had the scout trooper like on the far left then you had the original like og stormtrooper and then you had like the like a different era like clone trooper or something like that it wasn't in any sort of order it was like someone who'd never seen star wars before <laughs> just put them all out on, it made no it really got <laughs> on my nerves but i was a stickler for stuff like this yeah it wasn't chronological there was no order to it there's no order to it. <laughs> Well, if you're listening, Comic Con, uh, get us on board to be your set dressers. Certainly, Luke. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's but, do it. Yeah, they dropped a pretty. It was, it was a little bit dirt, but they didn't have rose on the front cover of that visual dictionary. But I'm looking to my right now. I've got a bookcase, which is um, it's not sad. It's cool. It's full of Star Wars books, and I've got all the visual dictionaries down there. And I can't wait to add the Rise of Skywalker one to it. On, oh, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna have it pre-ordered, so it turns up on the day the film comes out. I'm gonna go and watch the film. I'm going to come home, I'm going to read it in, and I'm just going to sit there and have a full-on nerdgasm and enjoy and just enjoy life uh, and feel oh, sad mate. that the Rise of Skywalker is been and gone. But a couple of days later, I'm going to be hitting this man up. I'm going to be furiously texting him saying, come on, come on, let's go see it, let's go see it, let's go see it. Until he finally <laughs> says, oh, for, come on, all right, we'll do it now. <laughs> yes, yes, December, mate. It's going to be absolute filth. It is. We're talking about books just before we move on. Uh, we dropped our non-spoiler review of Thrawn Treason. Once again, thanks to the uh, dudes at Penguin Random House and Star Wars Books UK for the advanced copy. Non-spoiler Thrawn Treason review is up there on the podcast feed. Check it out for more of the Blue Geezer. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, honestly, you guys, it means it means so much to us that you guys are supporting our extra show. We've had really good feedback for it so far. Um, I know, obviously, I've been a little bit absent from it. That'll change in, in the future. But it, it's a lot more of a laid-back kind of show. We put extra content uh, out there for you guys because you are the best listeners in the galaxy. Yeah, can't argue with that. And we kind of sit here and think, Shall we do something? Yep, let's put it out because it is as and when. So you, you, you'll, you'll hear more from Blilo, don't worry. And I've had we've had messages online saying, right, it's Luke, it's up to, Luke's turn to step up to the plate now. So um, he's got plans, don't worry. So uh, and on a final <laughs> night before we move on, 
just a very quick two minutes, Conan O'Brien led a wonderful 21 Wookiee salute uh, at Comic-Con in tribute to the late Peter Mayhew. So uh, without any further, this is what it sounded like. This year, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we lost a member of the Star Wars family. The great uh, Peter Mayhew passed away. Uh, Of course, we all loved his portrayal of Chewbacca. And by all accounts, he was a really great guy who was loved by his fellow Star Wars cast members. So tonight, we're going to do something to honor Peter's memory. I thought it'd be fitting to give him the send-off he deserves. This is something that can only happen here at Comic-Con. A 21 Wookiee salute. Yeah. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen, we went down. We went, this is for real. We went down to the Comic-Con floor and we found 21 cosplayers in Wookiee costumes. These are all real. They're here tonight. They came on the spur of the moment to honor the original Chewbacca, Peter Mayhew. Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready? All right, Wookiees, begin your salute. Wookiees. Rest in peace, Peter Mayhew. Ah, there was a lovely, lovely little trip. They basically went out and got 21 Wookiees cosplayers, brought them up on stage and had them all raw in unison, as you've just heard. And it's just a lovely little tribute to know that they hadn't forgotten Peter in all of this um, furore surrounding the Rise of Skywalker. So, uh, yeah, respect to Conan for doing that. Yeah, that's it really is a lovely tribute. It's great to see. And it's great to see the community, um, you know, coming together you know, on what is an unfortunate, unfortunate thing, a horrible thing to happen to Peter and his family. Um, but, you know, this is where the Star Wars community really has has its strengths. Absolutely. It's really nice to see. Well, just a bit of change of tack before we move on to our main subject. Um, should we hear from a little mate of ours, uh, Luke? Mate, I think we should. I'll take it away. Hey, what's up? It's Taylor Gray, a.k.a. Ezra Bridger, and you're listening to Star Wars Sessions, probably Britain's greatest Star Wars podcast. I hope you enjoy the show. Mate. Yes. (sighs) So, guys, I'm going to tell you something. Earlier today at work, (laughs) I get a cheeky little text message from none other than Jabba the Hutt, Master Matt Hudson. Right? He tells me, mate, Look at your look at your emails, okay? I open up cheeky web browser, don't I? Go on to Gmail. I have a look. Matt says, listen to this. I click on the audio file. I listen. It's none other than Blinkin. Blinkin Ezra <laughs> from Rebels. He's to say talking hello. about Star Wars sessions, talking about yeah. our podcast. Says Matt and Luke in it. That's mental. Probably Britain's greatest pod- Star mental. Wars podcast. Thank you so much, Taylor Gray, for taking the time out of your busy schedule to send us that message. I, honestly, is one of the coolest things that's happened to me. But I was so ecstatic. Yeah, that has definitely made my day, mate. Well, I guess it's certainly something to brighten up a Monday. So, yeah, thank you, Taylor. I hope you do listen to the show. And if you do listen to it, I hope you enjoy it, mate. Yes, and we want more Ezra. Yeah, absolutely. More Ezra is more than welcome. Now, talking about the animated show, of course, we just had the amazing Ezra Taylor Gray 
I still can't believe that. That's <laughs> that's just like Legend. mental. That is absolutely mad. Um, anyway, <laughs> talking that? about the animated shows, it's kind of it's kind of related. Um, in the Clone Wars, there was a there there was an abundance of characters we looked at, right? Um, we got we got um, Anakin, we got Obi Wan, we got new characters that we fell in love with, but there was old favourites that returned. Um, you can see how I've kind of tried to link this, right, Matt? I can. I've yeah. I've, I've, I've I've kind of tried to like you know smoothly uh, relate our little topic there to, to to the main topic. Now a lot of you guys already know what we're talking about. It's none other than Jar Jar. Binks. Can I get a round of applause, please? Come on, guys, for Jar Jar Binks. Misa like it. Wow, that 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 was heartfelt. Yeah. Poignant. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Maybe a little lackluster. <laughs> anyway, so our main our main maybe that reflects Jar Jar itself. Oh, is that harsh? I don't know. Let's have a little chinwag. Um Jar Jar Binks obviously introduced in the nineteen ninety nine The Phantom Menace, episode one. Firstly, shall we hear from a little fan about Jar Jar Binks, Matt? What do you reckon, mate? Uh yeah, let's do it. Um we people hear people say that Jar Jar's for kids and the adults don't like him or let me just drop this little banger in, uh, and then I'll explain to you once it's finished what it is. Uh, you may probably guess what it is straight away, though. So, roll it. Take it away. Tada! <laughs> Tada! Let your Tada, Daddy. Who's that? Tada! Tada! He can talk. Mm-hmm. Yes, well, that was in fact my young daughter. She's three years old, uh, and she's a fan of Jar Jar, as you just heard. She loves him. I showed him. I showed her a picture on my phone and said, "Look, this guy called Jar Jar. There he is." And um, so, so she recognised his face and knew his so name. So cute. And then about five ten minutes later, I went on YouTube, got like the greatest hits of, uh, of Jar Jar up, and she's yeah. watching it. And then suddenly she goes, oh, "There's there's Jar Jar, and oh, he can talk." And she's laughing away at him and. That's what it's all about to me. So whilst I have my reservations and my thoughts, and I know Luke does, and I know quite a few of you guys do as well, Mate. hearing that, that was what it was all about for me. So that's what George was going for. Now, whether it worked or not, we're going to get into that. But I thought I'd share that with you guys just so you could all hear. That's what Jar Jar was created for. Absolutely. And it's really interesting that you've, um, you've put that, and I think it's a great way to kind of start the main segment, is that this is a character that was designed to be loved, really. Yeah. Um, George Lucas, you know, he got his um, inspirations from, from characters like Goofy mm-hmm. in, the, oh, yeah. in, the, um, Disney, in the original Disney films and TV shows ironic. and stuff. Ironic. Uh, ironic. <laughs> um, <laughs> and... Uh, you know, did it work? Was it well executed? Well, that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And we're going to hear all of your opinions on that. So we're calling this segment the Jar Jar Inquiry. Misa back. 
Yes, we are. So we're gonna we're gonna talk about what did we think about him? You know, have our thoughts changed? What was George's thinking? And then we're gonna go into some of the impact as well. So let's go. So let's as a top level, Master Blywalker. When you think Jar Jar, and when you watch the films, as a, as a as an adult, what do we think now? And have your thoughts changed since you first saw him back way back when? So the irony is, when I was um, when I was younger, I was a young lad when uh, Episode One came out in '99, and I never thought to myself, you know, I hate Jar Jar Binks. That's that's the irony. I guess it worked. I guess what George Lucas was going for worked. Um, and he was going for this comic relief. And I want to just state this first, that when you think of The Phantom Menace, it's actually quite a dark film. It's a depressing film, mm-hmm. right? It's about invasions. It's about tax routes and stuff and trade federations <laughs> and whatnot. What a um, but it's also, <laughs> yeah, what a hoot. <laughs> it's also about a single mother who has this boy. Uh, she's a slave. He's a little slave. He gets freed, but, you know, at a high cost, he's taken away from everything he knows, sent to this cold planet he's not used to, put in front of these people that don't really appreciate him, don't really recognize him and his powers. And really, the, the, the whole theme of the film is pretty dark. It's pretty depressing. So I can totally understand why George Lucas thought Jar Jar was the key to all of this. And that's what he said. He said that when he was making um, the, the Phantom Menace. There's a famous little quote in a little clip. You can find it on YouTube of George saying that. You know, yeah, Chargers to Keto all of us. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and oh, my words, did he get it wrong? Yeah. He got it wrong. It's not to say that, you know, the idea was, was, was bad. And it's, it's not even to say that Jar Jar was you know a bad conception or a bad idea he wasn't it comes down to our magic word doesn't it mate yeah what word would that be execution execution order 66 mate (laughs) he didn't do it good he didn't do it well it was bad um and it's only when i saw see the see the phantom menace nowadays you know i sit there and i think you know this is hard to sit through sometimes Mm -hmm. and it's mostly because of jar jar i still love the film i adore it um, but put it this way, if I were showing people Star Wars for the first time, <laughs> George George Lucas wants, wants you to watch The Phantom Menace first. That's the way he sees it. He wants you to see it chronologically. And I understand that. I think that actually saves a little confusion. But the problem is, mate, is you have to introduce people who, who aren't used to maybe a science fantasy like Star Wars because there's not much like Star Wars, no. really. And they have to put up with a character like Jar Jar Binks that actually grown people and some, not all kids, but some kids find ridiculous. And that is a problem. That is a problem Mm -hmm. because Star Wars isn't just for kids, right? It's not just for kids. Although George Lucas, you know, back in the day made these films and he claimed you know this is for kids it's for 12 year olds yep. or whatever fair enough that's fair enough i don't know many 12 year olds that find jar jar that funny no no i, I don't. don't know I, I, I don't know many that find him that funny little kids that's a different story that's a different story but 12 and up 
and and knowing full well that you know these films are are seen by everyone these films should be for everyone i think it was a wrong choice to let jar jar go so over the top so clumsy so slapstick mm. Um, but that's my two pence anyway. What about you, Geezer? Um, not uh, not a million miles away, to be honest. When I first saw it, first saw him, sorry, in the movie, I originally didn't like him because it just didn't it didn't work. Because every moment he felt, every moment he was in, sorry, felt undermined, basically. Especially the Battle of Naboo, which was sure. a chance to make him a little bit of a hero. You know, he's he's brought the Gungans and the Naboo together. Now he's leading from the front as a bombard general. So, you know, have him be a bit of a hero. But every good thing he does is due to the slapstick moment, which is which is a, a complete takeoff of the slapstick from the golden age of Hollywood, which is fine, but it's not the right film to be putting it in. And the tension and the atmosphere was badly harmed, I thought, because of that. So growing up, um, I am now however, 20 years older. I'm more on the fence. I see him for what he is. And obviously that clip I've just shown of my beautiful daughter, it again, it now shows me a different side to the character. But for me, yeah, the strange voice and the visual appearance could have been overlooked if the writing had been stronger. We know Lucas isn't a screenwriter. He's a storyteller. He's a visionary. He's not a, he's not a screenwriter. And, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, and he mentioned he's Lucas's favourite character. He's the key to all of this more in more ways than one. But... Um, I fully realised mo caption character was like an adolescent dream for George, but he's the epitome of what he what you've said that Star Wars George's assertion that Star Wars is for kids, and I've got absolutely no vendetta against George Lucas for uh, including the character. In fact, I've got no vendetta against George at all. Why? Because I'm a mature adult. But um, I sure. just wish he had been executed better. So whilst. When I watched The Phantom Menace, now I'm not quite so... I'm not hiding behind my pillow quite so much, biting it in cringe. But there are obviously moments with the poodoo and other moments where you just think, Ugh, if only you toned it down just that little bit more, it, 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 it would have worked, I think. I mean, and again, also the writing. Had the writing been better for the character, have him funny, but just not completely at odds with everybody else. Because everybody else is like deadly serious. And then you've got Jar Jar, yeah. and it, it, it's such a it's such a juxtaposition, a dichotomy, if you will. Yeah, absolutely, mate. And it comes back to the fact that you've got this serious story because, and it, it all makes sense. It's all poetic. It's all about this. It, it's meant to be this time that before Episode One, before the Phantom Menace, you know, the Jedi were wrong. They were they were you know being basically they were downgrading themselves yeah. into this position where they didn't know what was going on. Like Luke says in The Last Jedi, you know, they they allowed this Sith Lord to just, like, rule the galaxy. Just He just flicked a switch, they boom, watched, that's it, nothing, you know? Yeah, yeah and they, 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 were, they were blinded. Um, but it is also meant to show that, that before that, it was still, you know, relatively peaceful, not a huge, you know, amount of stuff was going on. And Jar Jar was kind of a symbol of that, and I see where my uh, where where George was was going with that. But I would have rather the the writing be completely different, mm-hmm. like you yeah. said. The problem was, and I've said this in previous podcasts. Um, I think I said this maybe in our first ever <laughs> podcast way back when where we covered when we covered the uh, prequel trilogy, and the problem was. 
the when when I feel when George was making the prequels, right, he was the head honcho mm-hmm. with with everything pretty much, and there was no one there to tell him, George, you can't do that. That doesn't that's like, really in a little yeah. bit. Or, or, well, how about this, mate? Why don't you do it Rick like that? Rick like going to say no. And, right. And, that, and that's the problem. When you have a bunch of yes people around you, then, you know, not much innovation happens. Not much change happens. And that's what happened here, is the, the, the clear difference between, especially episode one and Attack of the Clones in the original trilogy is is the the lack of quality and i think that a lot of that comes down to a lack of collaboration mm-hmm. right in the first film it was a real team effort with a lot of people led by george lucas's imagination and that's true of every single star wars film and you can see that amazing quality in every episode uh, dare i say even the sequel trilogy you see george's spark a little bit um there it might not be him doing it but it's definitely uh, a little word. Some of us Star Wars geeks who like to use Lucasium. Oh, yes. Right? It's George Lucas-esque. Lucasium. Which is a cool word, it right? It is. I like um, it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you can definitely see the, the jumping quality. Obviously, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi had different directors. You know, George Lucas did not direct those. He wrote them. And obviously, he assisted um, on set and whatnot. <laughs> But the, the actual directing was by different people. The prequels was, again, this guy that by by the 90s and, and the noughties, it was George Lucas. Who's going to say no to a guy like that? Exactly. Who's going to criticise were anticipated, man. So nobody, nobody wants to harm their place in these films, do they? No. I know it might absolutely. sound flippant to say that for everyone listening. This isn't going to be a George or a Jar Jar bashing session, but that might sound flippant to oh, say no, nobody's going to stand up to George. But it seemed that way, even in that famous shot when they're in the viewing room and George says, oh, "I might have gone a little too far." Um, nobody actually—that's everybody's sitting there in stunned silence. But nobody actually, without we know, have actually went. You know what? You did. It was just everyone just sat there in silence and sort of looked at their feet and thought, "I didn't want to say anything," but. Um, that's what, right. how it came across. Yeah, yeah, you're right, mate. You're right, yeah, and that's yeah. that's what happens. That's what happened, and that's how it came across to me. But had some had other people directed the prequel trilogy, maybe we would have got a a different iteration of Jar Jar. Because again, I've got the character himself. No problem. It's just a, it's just another species within the saga, the Gungans. I've got no issue with the Gungans. It's just the execution drink of that of that character. So. Um, should we move on to what impact the character has had on the franchise as as a whole? Yeah, I do. But but just before just before that, I've got a little factoid for you. Yeah, okay? drum roll. And it's a it's a it's a little question, right? Can you tell me, leading up to the Phantom Menace in the nineties, when when lots of um, the characters were being cast by by actors and whatnot, do you know almost? George Robin. Uh, oh, I can't remember. Oh, I dun, 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 can't remember dun, dun, now. Dun, 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 Michael Jackson. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah, yes. yes. Thank goodness for that. Spot 
on, spot on. Imagine that. Imagine if we go, hee hee, would that have been? Menace. Oh my there word. There are many things you could say about Jar, Jar Jar Jackson and Anakin and all that, but imagine having that M- Michael Jackson in the film. And they wanted to like, say that Tupac as well was going to be Mace Windu. How how ridiculously outdated would that look now with Tupac and Jacko? Oh. Mate, that would have been mental. That would have been absolutely mental. Uh, yeah, no bueno, no bueno. No, absolutely not. No, nothing against those guys, but not not in the French, not in this saga. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Absolutely, couldn't agree more. Not not, not having it. So, well, the impact of having Tupac and Jacko would have been seismic for all the <laughs> all the wrong reasons. Because yeah, imagine a, a moonwalking Jar Jar. It would have looked wicked, but. I probably would have stopped watching Star Wars after that, but um, I think the Jar Jar he's had a big impact on the franchise, and probably sadly not in the best way because most people remember him negatively, and he literally has gone down. Literally, in movie folklore of all the films and all the decades that have been of cinema, he's gone down as one of the worst characters of all time. He's always in those lists, and uh, of course, that's entirely subjective, as is all film. It doesn't mean we or like Luke may and may or may not think that. But his reach is yeah. massive. You know, everybody knows him. He gave, I mean, his impact was, I mean, first, before I go into that, the parodies, like the Robot Chicken parodies, and just everybody pokes fun at this guy. And in terms of the actual impact within the franchise, he gave Palpatine emergency powers that basically started everything off. So yeah. he, flat, yeah. he flicked yeah. that first domino and everything else fell. He's actually vital to the Star Wars saga. That's the funny Without thing. Without him, the end... He brought about the end of the Jedi, the rise of the Empire, all of the war, the death, uh, Alderaan, the rebels, the rebellion, everything after that spawned from the Delo Felagates moment. Yeah, and it's true. It's true. I do feel like George learned his lesson. It sounds so bad. So, oh, you learned your lesson. (laughs) I don't mean mean to say it like this. This guy's... This guy's so clever. He's a genius. And obviously, you know, we respect him. Um, But, you know, we're not going to just sit there and praise everything anyone does. Right. We that's not our job. Um, And you can tell that Jar Jar is a character. It's way more toned down in Attack of the Clones and way more toned down in Revenge of the Sith. And and we don't really see him after he gives those powers uh, to to Palpatine. Um, we see a little bit of him in in Revenge of the Sith, and that's it, really. He he just goes off because it's in the funeral procession, isn't he? Literally one scene. Yeah, yeah. And uh, is he not in the in the Senate sessions in in um, Senate sessions? Sith? Um, Senate, Senate. A backup name, right? Yeah, there. So, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't think yeah. he's. I think he's literally just in the funeral scene. Oh wow! Wow, if that's the case, then wow, that's that's crazy. But um. Yeah, it's it's almost heartbreaking as well because you you know we we all know how much that character meant to George Lucas and he really thought he nailed it. That's yeah. what's sad. He thought he was like, yeah, this is this is the guy, this is our main guy, and it's like, oh, dude. Apparently, he had big stories is, for him as well in the future. Yeah, and and this is my issue with the Last Jedi, okay, and I am so happy. J.J. Abrams is taking the realm on, um, taking the helm on on um, episode nine, because the Last Jedi was not funny to me. Uh, the Force Awakens had funny moments. Rogue One had funny moments, 
But sometimes you have people making films and, you know, they need comic relief in those films. Again, The Last Jedi is quite a glass half empty film a lot of the time. It's definitely an uphill battle Mm -hmm. and it's a struggle for all of our heroes in that film and even villains. And I feel like the comedy relief is terrible in it. I really don't like it at all. Uh, There's only a few jokes in it that land for me. For me, the the jokes were too much, or, and just not funny. You know, opening up the film with a your mum joke with a t- phone, Ew. your mum joke. It's just it's so stupid, and it leaves a bit of taste in your mouth for the rest of the film. Almost, you know. Mm-hmm. Say so I, and and there are bits of the Last Jedi I absolutely adore, but again, this is the problem when you have people like Ryan Johnson, and possibly George Lucas. Yeah, hey, I've not sat down and spoke to these guys. But what if they just don't get humor? What if they are actually not very funny people? They're they're sweet people. They're sweet people. They're nice people, very creative, artistic people. That does not equal funny. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Whereas J.J. Abrams, right, Gareth Edwards, people like that, they get humor. They get humor. They get humor that suits the masses, right? And that's a skill, you know, to itself. But that's just how I feel. I feel like maybe George didn't actually understand his audience. He didn't actually understand what the comic relief should have been and where it was appropriate, sadly. Yeah, I, but that's true. And then you go back to um, certainly A New Hope and you've got Han Solo originally sort of chasing after stormtroopers, screaming, ah, and then coming around the yeah, corner, the stormtroopers the are there. Oh, he's come running back again. So in his first film, he kind of got he got the Star Wars humor. How they in, and that's true. People say, "Oh, Jar Jar's just a modern three PO." The difference is, I think, when three PO's being annoying or he's talking too much, they either shut him down or put his, put their hand over his mouth or something. They they stop him before he goes too far. Which is, I mean, they could have just done exactly the same with Jar Jar just before he does something wild, shall we say? Somebody, somebody puts a hand over his mouth or says no, or you know, as like Qui Gon then grabs his tongue. But three PO, George knew when to hold back on, you know, pushing three PO too far out. Obviously, further on towards Jedi, he, he let that guard down a little bit. But the humour was there in the first in in A New Hope, I think, and uh, those original trilogy for the most part. But coming to the prequel trilogy, just as you said, I, I agree. I just think he misunderstood his audience. I think he, I think he generally had believed that the kids who watched Star Wars in seventy-seven to nineteen eighty-two were still kids when the prequel trilogy rocked up. So he's gonna, he's gonna cater to these people who love Star Wars, but they'd grown up. They're twenty, thirty years, however long it is. Bad maths. They're seventeen years uh, older. You know, they're adults <laughs> now. They have got their own kids. Fine, but I don't. I, I think in trying to cater to the younger audience, which is in no way a bad thing. He forgot about some of the fans who were there from the beginning, I think. And it was finding that balance, which is what Star Wars is all about finding. He's finding that balance yeah. of of giving, of being for everybody. And I think certainly in Phantom Menace, Jar Jar, he got, he got it wrong. And like I say, the impact going forward was he didn't get to tell the stories he wanted to with that character. Um, the character was sidelined. The Phantom Menace is now known for you know, the Jar Jar film rather than the one with, and Darth Maul, but Jar Jar gets the, 
it's kind of made a scapegoat for that film's shortcomings because I don't think The Phantom Menace is an awful film. It has many flaws, as as all of the prequels do, but it's not a bad film. If you, but if you yeah. could just tone down on Jar Jar, because some of the best moments in the saga come from The Phantom Menace. But, uh, yeah, as, as terms of an, imp, an impact, it was absolutely not what George wanted. And, yeah, it is quite saddening because George seems like a... Well, he is a great guy. Just look what he's done for... His, his charity work and all of that and the museum he's building in um, LA at the minute. The guy just wants to give back to other people and just just happens to be that this was a misfire on a massive scale, global scale. But yeah. again, it's it's pure George. He did what George wanted to do. You know what? When it when it comes to creative and artistic direction, you know, no one, no one can be like. No one can be told they're wrong, especially when it's their own vision, mm-hmm. right? Because because they're they're the creators. It's almost like you know, if an author was writing a book and someone off the street just came back and said your your ending is wrong, right? Regardless of if it's stupid, it could be a really stupid mm-hmm. ending, right? But the author isn't wrong. It's his story. It's his book, right? Does that no, make yeah, sense? Yeah. He he pitched it how he yeah. wanted to, and if you, if people don't warm to it that doesn't mean that the writer's done a bad job or he's stupid it's just it just didn't work for them or, or we can't yeah, we're not who are we to say that you did that wrong when it's not our idea in the first place absolutely absolutely but also on on more of a brighter side it was incredible to see armored best at star wars celebration absolutely. this year in chicago and people going absolutely crazy for him and actually you're starting to see a little bit of a george R. renaissance at the moment, aren't you? You're seeing a lot more people who who do find him funny, who do find him an, a, an awesome character. Um, people walking around with t-shirts of his face on. You know, I'm seeing that a little bit more and more, right? And it's almost like I, I can't help but think I, I I do feel it is different. Um, but there are those people who hate Ewoks, as an example. When when Return of the Jedi mm-hmm. came out, they couldn't stand Ewoks. They were like, "This isn't Star Wars. This is stupid. Teddy bears don't belong in Star Wars." And do you know what's funny is I've never, ever, ever thought that. Mm-hmm. I've never yes, thought I, that because big to me, that film, you? I, I adore that film. And to me, it feels like, well, yeah, it, they belong there because that's the story. It's another galaxy. You can do whatever you want, essentially. Ab- absolutely. And also, I think I have uh, I had the gift of being a you know, young kid watching Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you do watch it with rose-tinted glasses. You do believe all the magic. You do believe all of the on-screen love and whatnot. You 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 know, it's real to you. Um, and the Ewoks are part of that. So who's to say that actually there's a generation out there that doesn't think the same of Jar Jar Binks? Because, you know, his popularity is having a renaissance. You look at the way Jar, um, uh, Ahmed Best was received at Star Wars Celebration, mate. Mate, you know, it was impressive. It was brilliant. It to was see. really impressive. It was heartwarming to see as well, considering everything he's got, everything he has gone through. But you're right as well about the Ewoks. Um, it was Kevin Scott, the author of Duke, uh, Dooku Jedi Lost, on Twitter. He said pretty much what you've just said. People have an issue with Ewoks, or they they mention Return of the Jedi, and they think, oh, the one with the teddy bears ugh, take, taking down the Empire. But he said, you know, he adores that film for the feels that it gives him, for the nostalgia, because it takes him back to being younger, seeing it when he was a kid, and it brings him back to a happy place. And, of course, after that, we've got the victory celebration and everything, or back then with Yub Nub. Um, but it, 
it encapsulates a time in his life which he looks back on fondly, which is the same for yourself as well, and so millions of other people. And it's the same for Jar Jar. There will be people out there now who, in 99, were younger, obviously, um, who will now look at that and think, I remember going back to watching it. Because it's the same for myself. I was, you know, I was a teenager, early, early in my very early teens, when that film came out. And I remember seeing the Pepsi cans with Jar Jar's face in it, the... Where you yeah, had all them, like, the toys. Yeah, McCoy's, yeah like, that, the boss, Rick Ollie, he was on them as well. But yeah, Jar Jar was everywhere. And... There were so many, there were so many Jar Jar toys, yeah, man, I remember It just those. takes me, seeing Jar Jar and just remember, reminding myself about the Phantom Menace especially, and we mentioned that because that's where he's most prevalent in the films. It just takes me back to being a kid, going to Pizza Hut with my parents, getting the Phantom Menace special, whatever it was, you got a uh, Star Wars cup and all this other stuff with it. Uh, and then going to watch the film, you know, as a, you know, in the like, early evening, sort of dinner time kind of time. And it just reminds me of just, you know, my own experience of going Good to times. see my first Star Wars film, a new yeah. Star Wars film in the theatre. So it brings me back, man. Yeah, yeah, it's funny you should say that because I felt the exact same thing. I was thinking, I was looking at our show notes earlier and I was thinking to myself, you know, that they really were, you know, good times. There were good times, and it feels like that. Obviously, bad things in the world were happening at that time, and that happens all the time. Yeah. Um, but that bit of escapism, especially as a kid, you know, it was, it was phenomenal. It's fantastic. And without, you know, a film like The Phantom Menace leaving such an impression on me at an early age, you know, I, I probably wouldn't be a Star Wars fan today. You know, because you need that. You need the mix. It's the mix of The Phantom Menace mixed in with the original trilogy VHS sets around the Nan and Grandad's house. And, you know, watching The Phantom Menace on VHS when it first came out and it was such a big deal and the graphics were crazy good. You know, it was was really a special time. And I do do have, now as an adult, I have a love – hate relationship with Jar Jar and, and really the Phantom Menace as a whole. The Phantom Menace um, was the film not... that got you into Star Wars. Not got you into it, but like you've just mentioned, it gave you that appreciation. It's a new lease of life, and it was the film it? with yeah. Jar Jar in it. So obviously his inclusion didn't turn you off because um, look yeah, at what we're doing exactly. now. Exactly. Exactly. Spot on, mate. Spot on. That's, that's you you've summarized it better than better than I did basically oh, thank you. um but but Jar Jar wasn't just in the prequels was he no in 2008 we got no in two, 2008 we got the clone wars the 3d animated series um directed and written by uh Dave Filoni none other it's than George Dave Filoni and, yeah George and Dave yeah George and Dave Filoni and um this series it, it had a rocky start it had a rocky start. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the um, film, which was basically four or five episodes, I think it was four episodes, just compressed yeah. into a, like, a film, was released cinematically. We still don't know why, but it was. Um, and Jar Jar was in the first few episodes of The Clone Wars, and it was actually voiced by Armored yes. Best, who, of course, played Jar Jar Binks, right? And the voice is, is the exact same as, as you would expect. Now, there is a mystery to the to um Jar Jar Binks, which I find absolutely fascinating <laughs> in the Clone Wars. And it's by episode I think it's like episode eight. I could be wrong. It's it's one of it's one of the episodes like later on into the series. And Jar Jar's there. He's the same looking Jar Jar. His voice has changed. 
It's so different. Matt, would you be able to play like a comparison video between the two? Absolutely. You know what? I'm going to do it for you right now. Well, that smells stinker with. Excuse me. Ye gods, what are Misa saying? Army! Misa so smiling to see in your side. Crazy. Oh, no! How rude. Oh, back! Coming in for a landing. Misa no see Senator Karras. Sir, over here. You shall find rest, Senator. Those and with good in their heart, always passing too soon. We stop. Ah, you shall not creating life. You shall taking life. You shall poison the Gungan water. There you go, magic. So there we go. We've heard the voices. You heard the first voice of obviously normal Jar Jar, and then you've heard this second really bad Jar Jar Binks. Okay. And the interesting thing is, Star Wars fans, for, for 10 years, 10 years, have tried to find out who voiced it. And that's not to say that, that the credits weren't there. The credits were there. It was for none other than a Mr. or Mrs. B.J. Hughes. <laughs> Who's that? That's right. B.J. Hughes. Now, many people, many, many, many different people and different podcasts and different Star Wars communities have tried to reach out to Lucasfilm to find out who on earth did this interesting impression of Jar Jar Binks. And to this day, Matt, to this day, it's a mystery. Nobody knows who Isn't this person mental? is. I know there's nobody no has been not even Lucasfilm has been able to track this down. There are rumours that it was in fact Dave Filoni. He's keeping quiet, he's keeping that under his cowboy hat if it was, but no, it's just like this whoever this uh, guy or gal was just didn't exist. Because, um Ahmed was busy doing something at the time. He couldn't uh, free up his schedule to come do this episode. So they just roped in whoever BJ Hughes is and <laughs> provided this abysmal voice impression which you just heard so i mean i will just lay down now that not bj hughes was neither myself or luke so we're going to quash those rumors right now but who if, if whoever bj hughes <laughs> is show yourself enough time Reach has passed. Out. exactly enough Reach time out. has passed we'll come on the show yes yeah let's do it let's do it but i thought that was super interesting there's there's a lot more to jar jar than meets the eye and in this saga do you feel that we have seen the last of of Jar Jar because I know that obviously you're you're the book reader out of us too, mate. You read all the Star Wars canon books, and I know Jar Jar does get a cheeky mention in one of them, doesn't it? And it implies he's basically retired. Did you want to? Did you want to elaborate on I that? I will, yeah. Because I mean, Jar Jar's journey is interesting. Like in the, in the Clone Wars, he had he had better. He's much more entertaining and watchable in the Clone Wars, yeah. Especially his yeah. little adventures with Mace Window, and he gets a girlfriend as well. So. You know, rock on, Jar Jar. But in the in the books, Leia. yeah, that's right. Yeah, he had more luck with women than I did at the time. So in the comics, <laughs> he in the Age of Republic special, there's a war going on on Mimban, which people will know from Solo, a Star Wars story. It's not the same war, but there's a battle going on, and basically, it's not looking. It's the separatists against the Republic, and the separatists are pushing forward. It's looking bomb bad, guys. So Captain Rex basically says, "Right, let's get the heck out of here. Let's retreat." Um, and somehow Jar Jar has managed to get himself involved in the battle. 
Uh, when Rex realises actually we may not get out of this he thinks well I'm going to do what Rex does best he starts taking falls down left right and centre he takes to, he starts pumping droids out but he's getting overrun he's about to get killed and then a lightsaber cuts this droid down and out of the out of the shadows who's holding that lightsaber Binks himself Jar Jar has found a lightsaber from uh, on the floor somehow I can't remember the story and he's killed this droid with it. So there's a great shot of Jar Jar holding this lightsaber, which is patently ridiculous, but it's just a fun, awesome moment as a bit of redemption for the character. And like you mentioned, yes, in Empire's End by Chuck Wendig, we kind of get kind of at like the end of his story, potentially. Uh, for those who haven't, who don't know, he uh, spoiler alert for the book, but he ends up back on Naboo in Feed the city we see in The Phantom Menace, he's an entertainer. He entertains, you know, uh, orphaned children. Like a street street, street clown, basically. Right? And he, he, he entertains the orphaned yeah. children. Chuck Wendig, the author, goes pure meta because in the book, the adults don't like him. The adults remember what he did to the <laughs> galaxy. <laughs> which is accurate. Which is accurate to real Exactly. Life. <laughs> but the kids, but the kids love him. The kids really, kids, the kids dig him for the most part. So the adults don't, the kids dig him. And... The adults think he brought shame to Naboo and doomed the galaxy. But as he's doing his street entertainment, he befriends a young boy who is an outcast. I think he's kind of, I think he's got like a facial disfigurement. He's an outcast and he hasn't got any friends. And he watches Jar Jar doing this juggling, and the two kind of strike up this little. They start chatting, strike up a, a little relationship, and and they walk off. Basically, they walk off into the Naboo sunset, and. Uh, they're going to entertain the galaxy together. We are going to entertain the galaxy together. And I haven't described it anywhere near as eloquently as Chuck Wendig did. But it's a really, really nice interlude. And Wendig came out about a week ago on Twitter, actually, and said that he he wrote it, kind of just threw it in there and thought, let's see if they notice it. You know, they might not want anything to do with Jar Jar. But Pablo and the story group, they dug it. They really enjoyed it. They loved it. And they said, yeah, why not? Keep it in. After yeah. Return of the Jedi, a couple of years after Jedi... Jar Jar Binks is still going. He's a street entertainer in Naboo. He's been outcast by pretty much everyone. But he's found this young friend and they're going to go and entertain the galaxy together. Now, whether that's just a you know, meta- literal figure of speech. but So he's kind of found his calling in life. It's a bit of a sad ending. We're kind of made in a sad clown at the end. But the, the way it's written is a surprisingly quite poignant little interlude. So if you haven't read it, it's probably online somewhere. Or I'll... You can borrow my copy, but it's a, it's a really nice little way to end off his story, if that is how they were going to do it. Because JJ originally wanted to have his bones in the Jaku Desert, but that was V, that was Nick's, that was 86. But um, as far as we know, he's just kind of ended his days on Naboo as a clown, which in one way is fitting and in another way is quite sad. But um, he's, he, there was no violent death or grisly ending or anything stupid like that. Chuck Wendig sort of let him go with. You know, let him go with some dignity, which I thought was very nice. So, and I I appreciated yeah, the the, the uh, interlude. So that's how that's yeah. kind of his ending, as we know. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, I think that's a really like that that's a really suitable ending to Jar Jar as a character. It suits him, and it somewhat suits the fandom a little bit. It's a little bit um poetic the way that you know the adults don't like him the <laughs> kids are like him. he's an outsider he's an outcast and hey it makes sense it makes sense and that's not to say we're not totally anti-jar jar here um there are there are little things that you know make me smile but you know 
it, it, it was a little bit of a lost opportunity. I think that's my final thoughts on, on him as a character. Yeah, and I mean, just in, in a nutshell, he, the impact he's had on film has been seismic, but, it, but Ahmed and George don't get Big the time. credit for it because we've seen Gollum, we've seen Caesar from the planet, the, oh, all of the apes from those films, and everybody holds them up and is crying out for Academy Awards for motion capture. Now, I'm not saying that George deserved an Academy Award, but Jar Jar was the first truly realised motion capture character which opened the doors yeah. for everybody else. And it's Ahmed, Best, and George Lucas who pioneered it. And they don't get enough credit because George has introduced so many new technologies that made movie making infinitely better. But it just yep. gets on a That's just Star under Wars, the rug. Though, yeah. right? Star, Star, Wars, Star Wars just leads the way in so yeah. many And things. I think for me on that final part, just before I shout out to Ahmed, is the key issue was for me is that The Phantom Menace was filmed on film. Back in the day, kids, they filmed on film. Not digital, like how they filmed Attack of the Clones and Sith. So in, on, on film, we had this first ever kind of fully realised CGI character against a backdrop of real, like, real tangible locations. And at times he stuck out like a sore thumb. Whereas when he was in Clones and, and that cameo in Sith, it feels and looks better because he is a digital character against a digital background. It blends in more. Um, obviously, the advances in the technology in the six years after uh, The Phantom Menace helped. But obviously, like when they're in um, the uh, Shmi's home or this Anakin's home, they're, everybody's real, they're on a real set, and they've got a, a cartoon, an animated character basically there, which stood out. And that is part of the reason why maybe they don't quite get the love they should do, because whilst he was the first fully realised character, it stood out at times. It was a bit like Who Framed Roger Rabbit, if you will, mm-hmm. but I'm mm-hmm. never going to shoot down George for that, because the the technology they used to do that was out, was off the scale, and Ahmed Best himself was a huge part of that and like you said all the negativity facing Ahmed is abhorrent but it sums up modern fandom over the past few decades the vitriol the entitlement the whining sending death threats to an actor doing his job Ahmed was given a task exactly and he performed it whether or not you, me anybody liked it that's not the point the same thing happened with KMT Kelly Marie Tran after The Last Jedi Ahmed was nearly driven to suicide but instead, he came out the other side with a new appreciation for life, and obviously, uh, the light of his life is young son as well. So, the fact that the backlash from this for this character drove the guy yeah. doing it to such lengths is yeah. disgusting. Yeah. But I'm so glad to see Ahmed is come back. He's full of smiles. He's he's podcasting. He's he's out there, and him at celebration, getting a standing ovation was. That's what it's all about. That's what fandom's all about. So, Ahmed, you're a, you're a top man, and we appreciate what you did for the character and the technology around it. And you can actually see Ahmed Best in uh, the background of the bar in Attack of the Clones. Yes, he's called uh, Ahmed yeah, Best or something like that. Yeah. yeah, you can also see uh, he, he helped out a lot in the Yoda fight. He helped choreograph the Yoda and Palpatine fight That's and right, Revenge yeah. of the Sith. Um, he, he helped out with CG there. You know, the guy really did help shape the prequels in, in a lot of different ways that, again, it, it kind of goes unnoticed a little bit. But, you know, that's kind of the way films go a little bit. If you're not one of the main role mm-hmm. um, characters, that's kind of the nature of the beast. Um, but, Ahmed, we appreciate you and, and thank you for all your work in the Star Wars saga. But that's not all on the Jar Jar topic. Not. For our socials this week, we asked you guys, what are your thoughts on the infamous Gungan himself. Yes, and as you can probably imagine, there was there was literally there was too many thoughts and takes on Jar Jar. So we've condensed them as much as we can 
from across the socials to kind of give a broad spectrum. So uh, who do we have first, my man? Yeah, we got a lot of wicked responses. And first up, we got Jay Glover Art, who says the best thing about him is the far-out conspiracy theory that he is Sith <laughs> and orchestrated the events in the way they went with Anakin and Palpatine. I love that theory. It's absolutely banging. I saw it. I recapped it today and absolutely enjoyed it. But yeah, that's the last comment from me. There we go. We never even mentioned <laughs> the fact that Jar Jar's a Sith Lord, but um, on that, old Uranian Rose, shout out to one of our, to the massive support of the show. She said, believing there's a 50% chance Jar Jar was actually a Sith Lord all along is one of the best parts about Star Wars for me. It's wild, it's crazy, but if, like Luke, you research the Darth Jar Jar theory, it makes sense that Luke has had big plans for Jar Jar that he had to abandon after all of the backlash. So yeah, thank you, Rose, and thanks for all the support, you legend. You never know. Up next, we've got Eric Eilerson, regular listener, says, As a kid, I absolutely loved him. As a young adult... I hated him. As a slightly older adult, I don't entirely like him, but I respect the work that Ahmed did so much. So I'm quite conflicted, guys. Ooh. Thank you, Mr. Blylison. Uh Don at Obi Duncan Obi, legend. How awesome would it be to see him walking toward a group of resistance fighters to join them uh, in the Rise of Skywalker and say, Misa repay the galaxy. Misa owe them that. Is he going to be in the Rise of Skywalker? Uh, JJ said there's going to be some surprises. Obi Don Kenobi, what a sick name. Love mm-hmm. it. Um, up next, we've got Pete Fletzer, who says, I remember meeting Ahmed at the premiere of The Phantom Menace in New York City. Oh, and he was so excited about his role. Little did he know how much rancor, no pun intended, well, a little, mm-hmm. he would face. Pete, you're an absolute legend. You are, and the owner of a wonderful goatee. KT120, KT120, another regular listener. He's, in the kid's eye, oh, he's probably the best character out there. Funny and appeals to kids. Is he annoying? Yeah, but I understand why George brought him into the story. Yeah, fair play, fair play. Uh, Star Wars Card says he's George Lucas' favourite character, and I don't blame him. Jar Jar was literally the embodiment of, you can't do that, that's George's jam. Spot on comment, that is. Sarah Huss, I have a sincere appreciation for Jar Jar. I grew up with the prequels as a huge part of my life. They were my Star Wars for so long. While I don't remember my opinion on him as a kid, he was always present. And as a kid who loved those movies, Jar Jar is an important part. Mm, yeah, fair play. Up next, we've got Cammy's Corner saying loved him as a kid. Saw The Phantom Menace a few months ago and didn't find him as funny. Fair enough. Yeah, fair play. Uh, fair play. Vader's Boba said, nah. I don't really mind him. I don't hate him. I don't love him. So straight up, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, fair play. Up next, we've got Johnny Orme, who says Jar Jar is seriously underrated and over-criticised for being exactly what he was meant to be. Comic relief. He brings the humour and the heart to the Phantom Menace, which otherwise wouldn't have had much of either in the first act. That's true, and we, we kind of mentioned that earlier. Yeah, we were top man, Johnny. Uh, Patrick Covey. He wants the best for people. Even if he isn't the brightest tool in the shed, he cares about individuals enough to make an impact in their lives. He may annoy them in the process, but that's just how Jar Jar operates. That is just how he operates. Smooth operator. (laughs) Jacob's Quest. As a comedic relief character, I think he was a bit of a misfire, but adult fans overreacted by a metric ton. Spot on, mate. Brilliant summation, actually. Uh, Kelly Hoston, uh, day one, a a wonderful listener. Ambivalent, I guess. 
I get what George was going for, but I had to put this in capitals. The execution wasn't right. Ooh, Too jarring. Spicy. Excuse the pun. But Ahmed Best should get love for his contributions to the franchise and pioneering of tech. Spot on, Kelly. Yeah, up next we've got Seth Bazakowitz. My kids quite enjoy him, and I like how he was used in the Clone Wars. The season six, arc, season six arc that paired him with Mace Windu was sublime. There are lines of his from The Phantom Menace I've been unable to decipher for 20 whole years until I recently happened to watch with subtitles. <laughs> Ooh, spicy, Seth. Me, sir. Spicy. We've got Rachel Leanne, 31. He was my favourite when I was a kid, so now I don't mind him. Uh, people need to give the actor a break. He was just playing a role, just like Kelly with Rose. I don't understand people sometimes. Yeah, fair enough. We got up next, Essex boy, local lad. Local boy, Gav Backer. A little slapstick for my taste. But it's important to remember that he wasn't written for older fans like me. He was there for the kids and those not looking for brooding, complicated characters. He doesn't warrant the ver. Thank you, Matt. Good <laughs> <laughs> boy, huh? Uh, thank you, Gav Back at Essex all the way. Um, QM Pro Productions said, just sent a gif from the US office of Steve Carell's character Michael Scott shouting, "No, no, please, no, no, no!" I mean, yeah. Thanks for your clarification. Mate. <laughs> Next time, make it a li- yeah. little bit. That's clearer. what you're trying to say, there, right? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Uh, Flying the Wall podcast, our mates from down under said, a bit of vomit came into my mouth when I saw this picture. Uh, Take it down or we will never speak to you again. Uh, Ha ha jokes. Uh, Not a fan at all and feel a more serious character would have been better. Plus, I'm not a fan of the design either. It looks like a kid's interpretation of an (laughs) alien. If you could just do the whole you show, you call that Aussies, an alien. This is an alien. If you could do the whole this show as an Australian, alien. that will offend the whole country. But yeah, try it next time if you wouldn't mind. Ah, uh, classic, classic, classic. Fly on the wall, fly on the wall. Um, Missy Zorel, I don't like the character, but I think people are being extra on their hate towards this character. Jar Jar isn't that bad, but to harass the man behind mm. Jar Jar to the point of being suicidal exposes the toxicity of fandom culture. He did not deserve that cruelty. It's Spot true. on Missy. It's true. And it actually goes to show that the um, toxic nature isn't like a, a, a new no, thing. Which is a shame. It's not a new say. thing. Yeah, it's true. Our next, we've got regular listener and contributor, Genevieve Teresa Remy. I was six when The Phantom Menace came out. As a result, I enjoyed Jar Jar. As an adult, he's a little awkward to watch, but I'm actually not that bothered by him. I wasn't aware of the hate until I was much older. Nice one, boss lady. And uh, to finish up our kind of summation, we've got uh, top man, Film Joe 12. I really like Jar Jar. He gets a bad rap, but overall he's a good character who only had the best of intentions. He also relates to my internal outsider. Apart from the potty humour moments, I still find myself laughing at him quite a bit. I especially love his sly smile at Watto, uh, member Luke's impression from last week, after the chance cube is rolled. Besides, he also brought the Naboo and the Gungas together, which is critical to the narrative and the central theme of The Phantom Menace. And that's a really good one to end on, because it, it yeah, get, get rid of the potty humour. And what Jar Jar actually accomplished was, uh, in that film anyways, he brought these warring two together which actually helped win the Battle of Naboo and keep the Separatists out and, you know, keep the 
uh, keep the forces at bay for a little bit longer. Obviously, in the next film, he then <laughs> doomed the galaxy, pretty much. But in that film, he yeah, he had the best intentions at heart. And we're going to give our final thoughts, but those all of those comments, there was only a few mm. which kind of came out straight up and said, didn't like him, not for me, which is fair enough. That's nothing wrong with that. But there's quite mm. a lot of people now who are saying either... Quite reasonable. Yeah, I loved him in my childhood, so that means something, or... Actually, do you know what? I don't mind him, but it seems that pretty much everybody yeah. is united in the fact that why are people? Why did people take it at an Ahmed best? So that's good to see. So it wasn't it wasn't quite a one sided uh, response as I thought we were going to get. Yeah, it, it's really nice and refreshing to see how people can try and see like you know a level minded view of of a character like Jar Jar. Um, but you know, still don't make him perfect. It still doesn't make the Phantom Menace perfect. It's still, you know, my bottom or second from bottom, depending on the day, mm. um, Star Wars film. You know, and I don't think that's going to change anytime soon with the rise of Skywalker coming out. 150 days. So wrapping that, Ooh. wrapping it up now. What are my final thoughts on Jar Jar are they haven't really changed that much. I'm still on the fence. I still like him. I still appreciate him for what he can do for kids, and especially my mm. young daughter. She she loved him, but for me, <laughs> watching it doesn't add anything to the story and uh, the, you know the fact that he doomed the galaxy doesn't bother me i actually like what they did outside of the movies of the character but what i did take from it was hearing the listener you guys out there your thoughts was quite um was quite refreshing to see that it wasn't just a case of we all hate it hate jar jar so that's what i thought but i walker what did you what were your kind of final takes now having having spoken about him and haven't heard what the guys out there think um I'm I'm gonna echo that. I think they've covered it. like I, I've already said my piece, but I will ask you a question. Ooh. I will ask you a question. Spicy. Your your other like it was spicy. Let's say you. I know you're not really a fond of the whole sand <laughs> flirting in in Attack of the Clones, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I, I find it what, charming. What, what What are your what's What's your other most like distant like what What else don't you like in the prequels? In the prequels, um, obviously the the Bantha Pudu, uh, yes, the sand. I don't like how um, Padme looks at Anakin and says, "I truly, deeply love you," because nobody says that to anybody. <laughs> I think how I love you, or nobody says that. And basically, most of the dialogue between those two, as much as I love Hayden don't... and Natalie, but basically just a dialogue and some of the like stupid character things that happen in the background, or the fact that Jango Fett didn't just take out Padme himself in. Uh, Attack of the Clones. Why well, get Zam Wessel to do it? Right? I've never got that. No, just, I've never got We'll that. just blow up the building. I never understood that. Okay. Would you rather correct one of those <laughs> or correct Jar Jar? Oh. In your opinion. That's a tough one. I'm not going to dwell on this. I'm going to give you my the first thing that comes to my mind. Go, I'm going to I'm going to keep it how it is. I'm keeping Jar Jar um, and leaving the rest as it is because again I like where the canon has taken Jar Jar and I appreciate you Jar Jar I, you know as much as I may not be a biggest fan but the, even the cringy moments of the prequels and there are many they are legion they are endearing to me now the sand moment the cringy dialogue some of the other things that happen like the fact that George Lucas spent more time with clones fighting droids in the background of, it, of Revenge of the Sith rather than you know story but they they're in, like every like all these guys have said and listeners, it it's just what I it's what it's what I remember now as the prequels. It, it means a lot to me, even though 
I can see through them that they are good moments or good, but the the, the bad parts are truly diabolical. But uh, same same for you. Would you what what's your most cringy moment of the prequels that doesn't involve old Bixie? I'm still gonna probably go with the whole Jar Jar thing. Mm-hmm. I, I I would change that. You'd change I'd it. change that. Interesting. Straight, We're kind of both on opposite it. ends there. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd change that. <laughs> I mean, there's there's bits I don't like in, especially episodes one and two. But I love them. Um, but you know, and it, 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 it's never going to happen, right? But yeah, if yeah. I could, I'd change that. Um, but all all in all, you know, I'm glad of what we got, and I I love the the prequel trilogy in general. Yeah. I I adore it, and I grew up with that, so. I do have a real um, deep connection to that yeah. and, and nostalgia points for that. So, um, I'm yeah, I'm, I might look at it through rose-tinted glasses, maybe. But do you know what one I thing know. I would actually change was, and this has bugged me since day one, and it genuinely has. If the character was just, just called Jar Jar, I wouldn't mind. But adding Binks on the end is extremely kind of like Playmobil childish to me. If he was just called like Jar Jar Binks, mm-hmm. sound, it sounds overly clownish and childlike. Good point. If he was yeah, just called Jar Jar, then that, that wouldn't change the character in one way. So I'm not sitting there saying he'd be great. But if he was just called Jar Jar, because obviously you've got yeah. Liam Neeson, you know, Liam Neeson saying Jar Jar Binks. It sounds ridiculous. Jar-Jar. If he just said, yeah, you know, Jar Jar. Yeah. So that's the one thing I yeah. would change. Just call him Jar Jar. Give it to Binks. It's just Jar Jar. Yeah. You can write this stuff. But you can't always exactly. say Exactly. And uh, right. a man out there once said that. You may have heard of him. Uh, George Walton Lucas. So that's our Jar Jar thoughts. If any, if any of you want to chat about that, obviously hit us up. We'll give the links later on. Moving on now to one of our favourite uh, segments. You know it. You love it. If you don't know it, you're sure to love it very soon. It's Canon Character Spotlight. And it's a very short segment where Luke and myself, we are assigned a randomly selected character in Canon. And it very much is random. And we shine a light on them, whether it's Palpatine, whether it's Jar Jar Binks, or whether it's a clone in the one of the in the background of one of the Clone Wars episodes. We shine a light and just have a little chat about them and where they're from. So, Luke, who have you ended up with this week? Spicy. I've got Oz Dangor, a male human bureaucrat who, during the Clone Wars, accompanied Janus Grejatus. Uh, yeah, we'll go with that. Uh, Sly Moore, Sate Pestage, and Lieutenant Commander Orson Krennic to Geonosis to oversee Poggle the Lesser's homecoming. As Poggle gave a speech to his fellow Geonosians, Dangor sat alongside the other Republic em- ems- emissaries. Emissaries, right? Yeah, emissaries. Thanks, mate. In the Petranaki arena. During the speech, Dangor expressed worries to Krennic that he felt they could become appetizers at the drop of a hat. After the rise of the Galactic Empire, Dangor served in the Imperial Ruling Council, a group who managed the daily affairs of the Empire and its members wielded considerable powers. They had direct access to the Emperor and all moths, generals and admirals reported to them. As such, he was an advisor to the Emperor Sheev Palpatine. He wore long, braided mustachios <laughs> and had broad, <laughs> furrowy eyebrows. Despite his mostly glum uh, countenance, Dangle's unusual facial hair lent him a bit of flair. Like all the other members of the Imperial Ruling Council, he donned colourful robes and floppy 
hats. Notable appearances, Tarkin novel and Catalyst, a Rogue One novel. And potentially Return of the Jedi, as yet unconfirmed. I, I wasn't sure how to pronounce Boom. his first name, so I'm glad you took that one from me. So, um, yes, <laughs> he's potentially one of those geezers who Palpatine talks to in like, the purple robes and those ridiculous hats. That he may be one of those, but uh, me, I got Lena Graff, who was a young female human whose parents worked as frontier explorers. One day, Graff's parents were kidnapped by agents of the Galactic Empire, leaving her and her brother Milo alone on a remote planet. The siblings then decided to undertake a dangerous journey across wild space to rescue their parents. At some point during their adventures, the Graff siblings found themselves looking for allies in an ancient frontier world. Fell into a, but fell into a trap laid by Captain Vizsla Corda, an Imperial officer. Later on, Graf and her brother managed to trace their parents' latest clue to a remote jungle planet that housed a frightening beast. Ooh, that could be the one in the Skywalker and that beast in that poster we used to talk about earlier on. Eventually, Lena became a commander in the Alliance to Restore the Republic. At one point, she and her team crash-landed on the planet Mustafar, not far from Darth Vader's castle. Years later, Lena became the great-aunt of Amil Graf, and at least one occasion, she shared with him the story of a thief who frequently stole from Dex's diner, only to be trapped down by Jedi Master Obi-Wan Kenobi and have the stolen possessions returned. Notable appearances, the Adventures in Wild Space series and Tales from Vader's Castle comic series. Oh, Dex, what an absolute legend. I'm thinking we need to get uh, Dex... Is it Dex... Uh, Dex, Dex Jetster, a Star Wars story. I think we need some more of those. Mate, make it happen. Forget Solo too. Make Dex happen. Ah, well, talking about uh, talking about people who need their own Star Wars story, how about this guy we've got coming up? Oh, mate, it's none other than Curtis, the wordsmith. I heard one time he said a poem in front of Queen Elizabeth II and... She fainted. Let's hear it. Here we go. It's none other than Star Wars poet. Everyone hates sand troopers. The life of a sand trooper's tough. Your best is just never enough. The Tuscans complain, and the Jawas profane, and these dewbacks are hard on my duff. Find me on Twitter at Star Wars Poet on Instagram and Facebook, at Star Wars Poetry. Always Star Wars. Always poetry. Always original work. Posting daily. What a legend. I once heard Curtis Smith built the hospital he was born in. He's that much of a legend. Curtis, thank you oh. so much for your wordsmith every week. We enjoy it, and we know the guys out there enjoy it as well, so... Uh, thank you, and yes, everybody does hate sand troopers. So, uh, yeah, speaking about sand, yeah, Anakin wouldn't make for a sand trooper. So, thank you, mate. Keep up the good work. And uh, what do we always say about the great man himself? Hey, always Curtis, always a legend. Spot on. Well, sadly, that is that for this episode of Star Wars Sessions. But the fun doesn't end there because no one's ever really gone. Where can the world find us, Master Blywalker? They can find us on Twitter at. Star Wars Session with no S at the end. That's at Star Wars Session on Twitter. They can slide into our galactic DMs on Instagram at Star Wars Sessions. That's at 
Star Wars Sessions, with an S on the end, on Instagram. Or feel free to drop us a voice note or voice message to our email address, sws at whatawatchtonight.co.uk. That's sws at whatawatchtonight.co.uk. Yes, we're on Anchor FM, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, TuneIn, anywhere in the galaxy you can find the podcast, we're there. Uh, and if you love our show, please leave us a good review on your podcast provider of choice because it uh, gets us out there and it helps to show out an awful lot. Uh, so we'd really appreciate it. Thank you. And please, 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 please tell all your Star Wars friends about us. Tell your mum, tell your dad, tell your mates, tell your cats, tell your Ewog, tell your boss, tell your local Dexter Jesters, hmm. tell your cousin. The more, the merrier, the spicier. Tell the nearest Gungan possible. This is the podcast you're looking for. So, until next time, from me, here's see ya, and from Luke. Misa Force, I'll be with you always. Hello, boyos. They are Essex-based podcast heroes. Charger is a key to all this. Tell that to Kanja Club. <laughs>